This may come as a surprise to some of you, but I am not what you would call a power lifter. How many of you have ever met a power lifter? These guys are big and huge, and, and I mean, they can do amazing things like take two times their body weight and lift it from the floor all the way up above their head. Um, I'm just going to be bluntly honest. I can't do that, all right? And my point in telling you that is that if you put two times my body weight on a bar out here, and I'm not going to tell you how much that is, it would not matter how much I tried, I would not be able to put that. I could try as hard as I possibly could. I would not be able to get that up above my head today. But if you started with half my body weight, and I worked with that for a little while and picked it up and put it down and picked it up and put it down, and then we jumped up to 75% of my body weight, I could do that maybe after a while, and then maybe after you know a few weeks of training, instead of just trying, training, we could step up to one times my body weight, and then one and a half times my body weight, and eventually, several months from now, I could probably take two times my body weight and get that up above my head, right? So why am I telling you this? Because sometimes we think we just need to try a little harder. When in reality, if we're trying to put twice our body weight above our head, starting from scratch, it's not going to matter how hard we try. But if we train, over time, we can accomplish things that we never could have merely by effort. And so when we talk about starting a new series titled Disciplines for Disciples, we're talking about training ourselves spiritually to grow in areas spiritually rather than just committing to give it a little more effort, to try a little bit harder, to do things that maybe we've never done before and maybe are foreign to us and feel different for us. And so I tell you that because there's this line that I have written out a couple of different times, and and it's kind of a catchy little phrase. Uh, It just says, do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. Do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. So our weightlifting example, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm not getting two times my body weight above, but I can do what I can until... I can do what I couldn't. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, please don't ever call on me to pray. I can't pray out loud. I've never prayed out loud in a group. And so I don't. I I respect their wishes. But part of me says, well, why don't you do what you can until you could do what you couldn't? Why don't you do what you can until you can do what you couldn't? Maybe pray out loud by yourself for a while without other people around you. And then you'll grow in that ability. Or you say, well, Pastor Mark, I've got 15 journals with two pages filled out in them. And, and then I lose the discipline and I can't do it anymore. I just, I've tried it. I can't do it. Well, do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. And this is how spiritual disciplines work. I've never been able to read the Bible in a year. I get through Genesis pretty good, and I get well into Leviticus, and I'm done. I just can't do it anymore. Well, do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. I've got one friend who says, I'm turning the home stretch. I'm into the New Testament now. It's taken me three and a half years to get there, but I'm going to finish the Bible and be able to. He's doing what he can until he can do what he couldn't. Because 
We don't come into this world fully developed and fully able to do everything that we can do today. There was a time when each and every one of us could do very, very little. We could sit and look cute in our mother's arms, and that was about it. And over time, by doing what we can, by taking a few steps and stumbling and falling and taking a few more and stumbling and falling, and next thing you know, they're running and they're jumping and they're, doing, they're mobile, and you've got to try to keep up with them for the rest of your life. But, but the idea behind this series is, is really that when you choose to do what you can, eventually you'll be able to do what you couldn't. And that principle applies physically, but it also applies mentally. Is learning a new skill. I can't speak French right now, but if I started practicing, if I started training my mind to learn and to grow, I could eventually, within a year, be able to speak French. This, in my life, it was running. In 2014, I don't think I could have run out to the street without being completely gassed and out of breath. But I decided that I needed to lose some weight and get in shape. I needed to have something physical. So I walked out my front door one day, and I ran until I couldn't. And then I walked until I could. And then I ran until I couldn't, and I walked until I could run again. And it started out, I could go a minute, then I could go two minutes, then I could go five minutes, then I could go a mile, then I could go two miles. And next thing you know, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I became a runner, and I could run half marathons. And some of you are smiling because you've been there, and you know it kind of gets into you. Well, I think that same principle applies to other areas, not just physically and mentally, but spiritually. And so as we talk about disciplines for disciples, we're going to be talking about these things that we can do that train us spiritually, that strengthen us spiritually, that help us to do spiritually maybe what we can't now, but eventually we'll be able to. And so it's important to understand what discipline is because discipline gets a bad rap sometimes. We think discipline has to do with punishment and we get some confusion around that. But really, discipline is not punishment. Discipline, the best definition I've ever heard, is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Choosing what you want most over what you want now. So when you have discipline or when you apply discipline to your life as a personal, spiritual discipline, physical discipline, health discipline, financial discipline, you choose what you want most and you set your mind on your values on the long term over what you want now. So that maybe changes your choices for what you choose to eat or what you choose to watch or how you choose to spend your time when you decide that you're going to choose and make your decision based on what you want most, not just what you want now. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, sometimes they're called spiritual practices or spiritual exercises. We'll use those terms interchangeably through the next four weeks here in this series. But we are talking about training and strengthening ourselves spiritually. And some of you maybe participate in spiritual practices on a regular basis already, and you have maybe a regimen. And I was talking to one guy, he's big into fitness, and he never misses a workout, and he even leads some classes at the YMCA in his hometown, and he was talking about how he's really struggled to get into any kind of a rhythm with his devotional life. And I said, well, what if you thought of it as a spiritual workout? 
Because I know you, man, you never miss a workout. And you know your buddies are going to be there, and you're not going to leave them hanging. You're not going to stand them up. So you go even when you're sick. You go even when you're sore. You go even when you're tired. What if you thought of your devotional life as your spiritual workouts? And that's one of those conversations you think, there might be a sermon series in here someday. And so as we keep our focus on discipleship this year... The year of 2020, focusing on discipleship, personal discipleship, personal spiritual practices, but also corporate discipleship and becoming a disciple-making church where we can see disciples being made and people stepping into one-on-one discipleship relationships and group relationships and focusing on discipleship as we move through 2020. We're going to talk about spiritual exercises and training and strengthening ourselves spiritually so that we do what we can until we can do what we couldn't. And uh, about a week or two ago, I was reading my, my Bible reading plan that we have in the discipleship journals, and I was journaling about it, and I kind of had this conviction. It was about Paul and how he got saved in Acts chapter 9, and immediately he starts preaching the gospel. And at first, it says people were amazed that this was Paul, the same Paul that was rounding up Christians and trying to kill them and put them in jail. That, like, this is the guy. And, and they were amazed that it, who it was first. And then it says, after a while, the power came to his message. The persuasiveness came to his message. But initially, it was just who he was and his personal testimony of meeting and encountering Christ. And having that change the trajectory of his life. And I got convicted and I felt like I need to tell people. I, I post, post scripture every day on social media. Every single day I do that. And I thought, I wonder if there's anybody out there that doesn't know why. That I've made the assumption that they know I'm a pastor and they know why I do this. So I wrote up my testimony and I posted it on there thinking 20, 30 people might like it. Well, 250 people liked it. 100 people commented on it. Blew me away. I had no expectation for that. But the... As I'm writing that, I write out this paragraph right at the end. I said, if you don't know Jesus, or you don't know him well enough to wake up every day longing to spend time with him and to live life moment by moment with him, then I hope you'll get to know him better. And that really is my heart's desire as your pastor, as your friend. For anybody that I know, I want them to develop that hunger and thirst for Christ, that desire to know Christ intimately and to do life with him, not as a checklist of chores that we have to do because we're a Christian, but because we cannot wait to spend time in God's word. We cannot wait to spend time in prayer and go through the day with Christ, doing life with him. And so when we talk about disciplines for disciples, we're talking about tools that help us to know Jesus better. Because I am convinced that the better you know Jesus, the more you will love Jesus. That any failure on our part to love Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength comes from either a lack of knowledge or from misinformation. That when you know Jesus, truly know him, know the truth about him, understand the gospel, wrap your mind around the gospel and the incredible love that God has for us in the person of Jesus Christ and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that is available to us, you cannot help but love him. Any failure on our part to love Jesus with our heart, mind, soul, and strength comes from a lack of information or from misinformation. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And we come at, to him with, with a lack of information sometimes. But the better we know him, the more we will love him. And spiritual disciplines help us to know Jesus better. 
Spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, fasting, meditation, spending time in corporate disciplines, spending time in in solitude and silence. All of these things add up to help us know Jesus better. And when we know him better, we'll love him more. And when we love him more, we'll want to know him better. And this cycle just continues and perpetuates itself. And we know him better and love him more and want to know him better. And so the song that we sang right after the welcome is rooted in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. I want to read those to you because I think David really touches on this idea for us. If you want to turn to Psalm 42, you can. We'll have it on the screen behind me, but it's simple. It's the words we just sang. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Do those words resonate deeply with you? Do you you long for more time with Jesus? Long to know him better, to know him deeper? Long to feel his presence in you and with you throughout each day? Because that's what we're focusing on this week is cultivating that, developing that. And there's a a powerful principle in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, verses 7 through 9. I would encourage you to turn there. We'll camp out there for a few minutes. But this is a powerful principle when we start talking about spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, spiritual exercises. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And if you're familiar with Galatians 6, this will be a familiar passage to you. Because Paul is writing to the church at Galatia and he's wanting to kind of wrap up this letter and to put a bow on it, so to speak. And uh, he says in Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. Because we have an enemy who is running around this world seeking to deceive people, both Christians and non-Christians. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A woman reaps what he sows. A student, a child, reaps what he or she sows. And just in case we're not clear what he means, he continues. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. You sow to the flesh, you sow to the sinful nature, you, sh- you sow to that which is not spiritual within you, from the flesh, from the sinful nature, you will reap destruction. But, here's the good news, the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we're talking about sowing and reaping. Sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. The the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the choices that we make throughout the day will likely fall into one of two categories. We're either sowing to the flesh, to the fleshly desires, to the sinful nature, or we're sowing to the Spirit, to our spiritual desires, the Spirit's nature within us. We're either weakening our spirit and strengthening our flesh, or we're strengthening our spirit and weakening our flesh. There are some neutral activities, I'm sure, but you know what I mean, and you know oftentimes that decision. And if we think of it that way, we would probably not choose to weaken our spirit and strengthen our flesh, but we don't usually put it in that context. And Satan, the deceiver, tries to convince us that we're not sowing and reaping at all. 
We're just hanging out. We're just chilling out. It's just one time. It's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody else even knows about it. It's not that big of a deal. Other people are doing it. And those are the lies that the deceiver tells us to weaken our spirit and strengthen our flesh or our sinful nature. Spiritual disciplines give us a track to run on to sow to the spirit, to strengthen the spirit, to exercise the spirit, just like Putting that bar over my head, starting with half my body weight, then three quarters, then training, strengthening. The same thing happens spiritually when we choose to devote ourselves to spiritual disciplines. I don't know if the main image is up on the screen right now, but you can see the word disciplines at the top. The I-N is the only difference between the word disciplines and the word disciples. Is that I-N. And we're going to focus on inward disciplines. Different people over the years have come up with different categories or classifications for spiritual disciplines. Some are considered inward disciplines that we do privately and internally. Uh, Others are considered outward disciplines. And then there are corporate disciplines. And so when we talk about this, there's a great resource. If you're looking to learn more about spiritual disciplines, this is a book that I have read a couple of times in group settings and alone. Uh, It's called A Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He goes through all 12 of the disciplines that we'll just mention here today and writes a chapter on each one and helps you to learn. And some of these will really resonate with you deeply at a soul level. And others you'll say, I tried it a couple times. It didn't didn't resonate for me. I think I'll focus more attention over here. And that's okay because we're not a one-size-fits-all. Some of us have a spiritual pathway to go out into nature and to just worship God in, in something like a hike. Other of you, you say, no, go take your hike. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be outside. I don't want to spend a day outside. I want to spend a day inside. We're all wired differently, and that's why I think there are different ways, different pathways to connect with God. And so the inward disciplines that we'll be looking at in this series are disciplines like fasting, prayer, meditation, and study or Bible reading and studying of Scripture. These are disciplines that disciples can have an inward relationship with God. You don't have to be a part of a group to do them. Some of them are even encouraged in Scripture to be private matters. When Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about don't pray out to be seen and, and do these high-style, polished prayers loudly in the streets so that everybody will see how spiritual you are. Don't do that with your fasting. Don't do that with your giving. There are some that are inward and private and others that are more outward, like simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. These are things that are outward expressions of that inward reality. And then there are corporate disciplines, which we do like confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. When we gather on a Sunday morning for worship, we are participating in a spiritual discipline. It strengthens us spiritually to come into this place and to experience the fellowship and to sing songs and to hear from God's Word. This strengthens us spiritually. And there are other corporate disciplines where we come together and we confess. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. We confess to God to be forgiven. We confess to each other in order to be healed. We celebrate, celebrate God's goodness. There's, there's a difference between celebration and worship. And so all of these work together, but we are going to focus on four inward disciplines here in Disciplines for Disciples. And today we'll start with fasting. I've titled the message, Adding Through Subtracting. 
that when we fast, when we choose to fast, to subtract something from our lives, we find that something better gets added into our lives. John the Baptist said it this way when he addressed Jesus. He said, I must decrease. You must increase. I must decrease. Me, my wants, my will, my desire, my flesh, my sinful nature must decrease so that you can increase. And as we choose to remove, God adds and we find strength. So our bottom line today is that fasting feeds discipline. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to start this series with fasting is that it feeds discipline, that that single discipline feeds discipline in our lives. I read a book one time called uh, The Power of Habit, and it was a secular book, but it made a really important distinction about what psychologists and sociologists have called keystone habits. If you've ever seen an old arch, uh, like a stone arch, there was a stone at the top that was called the keystone And it kind of holds the whole thing together as you stack those stones up. There's a keystone at the top. And he described keystone habits as habits that feed into other habits or help you to be successful in other habits. And so one habit for me, keystone habit, is flossing. If I floss, I am more disciplined in my life because I don't know about you. I hate flossing. Anybody else hate flossing? Is there anybody that loves flossing? The dentist in the room, maybe. I don't know. I just don't like it. It, It's not that enjoyable. But I find that if I will undergo the discipline of flossing, I'll be more disciplined in other areas. And if I start to skip a few days of flossing, if I backslide on my flossing, watch out. I'll be less disciplined in other areas too. Maybe you can think of a keystone habit, something early in your day, that if you do this thing, another one for me is, is scripture reading and journaling first thing in the day. It sets the course for the whole day. And when that gets short shrift for whatever reason, I start to feel the cumulative impact of that throughout my day or throughout my week. It's a keystone habit for me. It kind of holds other habits together. And so fasting is one of these, I believe, keystone habits. That if we choose to make that a priority, if we choose to add through subtraction... It feeds discipline in other areas of our lives. And the other reason that I wanted to do it first is you're going to have an opportunity, an invitation at the end of the service to try out fasting or to participate in a group fast. If you've never fasted before or if you've not fasted in a long time, this will give you an on-ramp, perhaps, to fasting that I believe will feed discipline in the other areas that we talk about as we go through this series. And so um, I want to spend some time kind of clarifying, understanding what the spiritual discipline or the spiritual uh, exercise of fasting entails. Biblically, when there's a reference to fasting, it's a reference to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. That would be sort of a working definition of biblical fasting, abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, there can be other benefits. You fast long enough, you'll probably lose some weight. Um, You might see some ancillary spiritual benefits. I know for me, when I choose to fast, I get hungry. Anybody else? This, This is pretty common. Don't feel like you're out on, you know, in left field on that. But I use that hunger as a trigger to pray. And so I'm fasting, and I'm 
intentionally removing food, abstaining from food for spiritual purposes, not as a lever to pull with God. We never use fasting to put God in our debt or to get something from Him. It does not work that way. But it reminds me to pray. And sometimes I will fast for something in particular. And I will forego food for a meal or two or a day. And as that hunger accumulates, I feel that hunger more often and it reminds me to pray more often. That's a secondary spiritual benefit of fasting. Now, fasting has gotten a little bit of a bad rap, and it's less common than it used to be. It used to be very, very common, and most people who were following God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament would fast on a regular basis. And there's a couple of reasons. It kind of got a little out of bounds. In the Middle Ages, there was asceticism and mortification, and people decided, you know, the flesh is so bad that we should punish the flesh, and they would fast in unhealthy ways, and they would go to excess, and and they would even lash themselves or wear hair shirts. I can't stand a single hair in my collar after I get a haircut. I can't imagine a hair shirt and the agony, and it was really just torturing your flesh. And so, you know, there was sort of the pendulum swings back in the other direction. And then, you know, the rise of marketing, we are marketed to the point that you feel like you're insane if you don't have three large meals and two or three big snacks a day because of all the food that you're bombarded with on a regular basis. You can't drive down the street without seeing a dozen different places to turn in and have a meal. And so, so fasting has become sort of this exclusive little, oh, they fast. That, that, I heard that person fasts. They must be really, really spiritual. And that's never the case with fasting. It was never intended to be the case with fasting. Fasting is simply abstaining for food for spiritual purposes. And the purposes may be specific, they may be known, or they might be general and unknown. Sometimes uh, we fast for a specific reason. I want to be reminded to pray for this things. I'm going to fast and be reminded to pray. Or there's a group that's fasting and praying. And we'll talk about sometimes in the Bible when people called a fast or fasted together as a group. But I want to start with some words from John Wesley. We're a Wesleyan church. John Wesley is the father of the Wesleyan church and Wesleyan holy movement, Wesleyan holiness movement. And he says, first, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him and our purpose to glorify our Father in heaven. That is always, first and foremost, it doesn't put God in our debt. It doesn't make us more spiritual or less spiritual because we do or do not fast. I want that to be really clear. I missed a a Dallas Willard quote early in the message that he makes it really clear. Fasting or any spiritual discipline, it is wisdom, not righteousness. It is wisdom. The the presence of spiritual disciplines in your life do not increase or decrease your righteousness. All right? I want to make that really, really clear. I meant to spend some time on that early in this message. Just because you fast or just because you pray or just because you read your Bible or you do any of the spiritual disciplines more or less than somebody else does not change your righteousness. Our righteousness comes from Christ. Okay? First and foremost and completely. There is nothing we do to add to our righteousness. So it's not about righteousness. It's about wisdom. It's wise to get to know Jesus better. It's wise to fall deeper in love with Christ. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about. And John Wesley is making that point as well, that our, our sole purpose is to glorify God. Our sole purpose is to fix our eyes on him. 
And so when we look at Scripture, there's a couple of different times when fasting is mentioned with a specific purpose. In Acts 13.2, we're told that while they, the church in Antioch, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, they were worshiping and fasting together. It was a corporate fast. They were doing it to increase their devotion and worship, to express their devotion and worship. It's at that point that God speaks to that group of people and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and send them out. And they do. And that's Paul's first missionary journey. And the rest is history. There was a specific purpose for that fast. In Psalm 69.10, David says, I wept and humbled my soul with fasting. I, I humbled my soul. This was King David. This was it. This was the guy. This was the man, the most powerful man in the world at the height of his kingdom. And he chooses, perhaps recognizes that his soul is getting a little prideful. And he chooses to humble his soul through fasting. To be reminded that he is subordinate to the one that he worships. And then Jesus Jesus fasted. Jesus fasts prior to his earthly ministry really beginning and kicking off in Matthew 4 4. We're told that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and afterwards he was hungry. And the enemy comes to him, Satan comes to him, and tempts him with food. And Jesus says, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Then in John 4 32, when they reach the woman at the well in Samaria and the disciples go into town and they come back with lunch and, and they say, aren't you hungry? And he says, oh, I have food that you know not of. I have food you don't know about. And they're like, where did he get food? They kind of missed it that time. The disciples were pretty good at missing the point, weren't they? And we see in the Bible that people like Moses and David and Elijah and Esther and Daniel and Anna the prophetess, and Paul and Jesus all fasted. There's direct references to them doing that. And throughout Christian history, leaders like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and many, many others have fasted and have written about this discipline of fasting and the benefits of fasting. They've participated in it. Now, in the Old Testament, there was one fast that was commanded for all the people And that was on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day when everybody fasted. Nobody ate the whole day. And it was that Day of Atonement where the sins of the people were placed on on an animal and sent out away from the people. So there's there's one time in, in Scripture in the Old Testament where it is commanded. But we see, if you read your Old Testament, you'll see that there are a number of times when a prophet or when a leader or a king would call for a fast. If you're familiar with the book of Esther, when the Jews are sentenced to death, she calls a three-day fast for all the people to fast and to pray that maybe God would hear them and deliver them. And by Zechariah 8.19 in the Minor Prophets, towards the end of the Old Testament era, there are four fasts that are prescribed and followed by the people in the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th months. So there's a pretty good, solid foundation for fasting. And uh, we find in the New Testament that it's not commanded, but it is presumed that Jesus, in the red letters, sort of presumes that people are going to fast. He says in Matthew 6.16, When you fast... 
that teaching in the center of the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about prayer and he talks about giving, he also talks about fasting. It does not say if you fast. It says when you fast. Make sure you don't do it like the Pharisees to be seen and they disfigure their faces and they make sure everybody knows today's a day I'm fasting. Aren't I cool? Aren't I special? He says they're going to have their reward. But if we fast in secret and we go and fast to the Lord, to his glory, his honor, his praise, then we'll receive our reward also in secret. And then in Matthew 9, 15, when some Pharisees come and say, how come your disciples don't fast? John the Baptist's disciples fast. And Jesus says, they don't fast because they're with the bridegroom right now. The wedding party doesn't fast when they're with the bridegroom. But later, when he's gone, then they will fast. It's presumed that his followers would fast, that, that the people of God would fast. And so I want to kind of wrap things up with a specific fast uh, that sets the context for an invitation that you'll have. And really, there is no guilt, no pressure. This is totally optional. But if you've never fasted or it's been a while since you fasted or you like the idea of a corporate fast where multiple people would be fasting at the same time like in Acts 13 or like in the Old Testament, then you have an opportunity today. And I want you to look at Daniel chapter 10 verses 2 through 3. And this is on page 1389 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of those from the seat in front of you. And this is referencing a specific 21-day fast that Daniel voluntarily chose to do. And so in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, we read these words in the hand of Daniel. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. And that's really the only reference that is made to this. However, if you read the rest of the story, which I would encourage you to do, he receives this amazing revelation and vision at the end of that period. And most scholars would agree what the person that he sees in that vision, that revelation, was the pre-incarnate Christ, the Christ of the Old Testament. And the description that Daniel sees of this vision, this revelation, matches up pretty closely with Revelation 4 and 5. And so it's pretty powerful. Now, I'm not overselling fasting. I'm not saying you fast this fast for 21 days. You're going to see Jesus in a vision or a dream. I'm not saying that. But you might encounter him in a powerful, spiritual way. You might experience him in a way that you have never experienced him before. And so this fast is similar in some ways to Daniel's request back in Daniel chapter 1 when the Jewish boys are rounded up and and taken uh, into the palace of the king and they're supposed to get fat on the king's diet, basically. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we'd rather not. Let's test this out. Give us nothing but water and vegetables and see how we are in 10 days. And in 10 days, they look better than the ones that are eating the king's food. And so they're enabled to continue with that. Now, at some point, we think Daniel's about 80 in Daniel chapter 10. So at some point, he he broadened his diet a little bit. But at this time, he chooses for 21 days to forego meat and, and, and delicacies and fancy um, food that is available to him. And you may have seen the books, the Daniel Fast or the Daniel Plan. Uh, they typically have a 21-day fast that is heavy on fruits and vegetables and other plants and light on meat and breads and sweets and sugars. And so uh, that's what the invitation is for you. On the altars, 
is a 21-day progressive fast. So you even get to ease into this if you haven't done it for a while. The first couple of days, it's no bread, no sweets. Now, if I've already lost you, (laughs) it can be done. I've done it before. And it gets pretty powerful as you continually choose to add through subtraction. And you continually choose to forego the bread and the sweets by abstaining from those foods for spiritual purposes. And it progresses beyond there. Then you cut out meat. Then you cut out everything but fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, and nuts. And then you progressively go. Now, this isn't legalistic. This isn't intended like... You don't get your sticker if you don't do everything right down to the very T. Some of you should probably talk to a doctor before. If you have diabetes or, or any kind of a digestive thing, I would really encourage you to, to maybe visit with a doctor or modify this a little bit. But some of you could pick one of these up, and you could go through 40 days, and you could, you could step into fasting and have a powerful and profound spiritual experience as you abstain from certain foods for spiritual purposes. It does finish on day 21 with a total water fast. And so one day of nothing but water. Again, I'm living proof this can be done. People do it for several days. We have scripture that tells us people did it for even longer than that. Now, you can start this anytime you want. But if you start it tomorrow, you would have a 21-day fast through 21 days of this sermon series, and you would hear messages on prayer and on meditation and on Bible study, and you would be able to finish on March 6th and 7th with our 24 hours of prayer from 6 p.m. on March 6th to 6 p.m. on March 7th. We will be praying in this sanctuary. We did this last March, and it was powerful, and we're going to do it again this year. You could finish your fast with that focused time of prayer and then a night of worship on the 7th at 6 p.m. in this sanctuary. So, so that's an option for you. That's an option. It's an invitation. That's all it is. And I would encourage you, if you choose to do this, to devote time to prayer and to journaling and to writing out thoughts or writing out impressions or writing out uh, insights that you have into God, into his word, into Jesus' experience of fasting prior to his ministry. And I would encourage everybody that participates in this to pray daily for discipleship, to, to, for every person at Linwood to take their next step in discipleship. That's our goal for this year. If you're already in a discipleship, take your next step. If you're not involved in discipleship at all, take your next step. If you are not even reading the Bible or, or participating in anything outside of Sunday morning, take your next step. Wherever you are, you have a next step to take. And so one of the things that I would want you to pray for if you choose to do this would be that every person at Linwood would take their next step in discipleship as a result. The last thing I'll say on all this is the same thing I said at the end of the message last week. And I was so blessed by these cards that got turned in at the end of the service. I read through these and was just so blessed. I saw examples of people saying, it's time to grow. I'm going to take my next step in discipleship. Or I'm going to take my next step in fellowship. Or I'm going to take my next step in worship or in evangelism or in ministry. And some people are taking steps in all five areas. And they're writing it down and making that commit and bringing that to the altar. But I said at the end of the message last week, there's a, there's a 
difference between saying, I can't because, and I could if. And it's a powerful difference. And so as we think about fasting and you decide your response today, my goal, my hope, my prayer is that it would be a faith-filled response. Not I can't because, but I could if. And maybe you modify it. And maybe you can't fast something food. Maybe you're on a very strict diet. You could fast something else that is of importance to you. You could fast media. You could fast Facebook. Oh, my gosh. You could fast something that you enjoy that, that's just for you, especially if it feeds your flesh at all. You could fast that. You could decide that you can't fast this, but you could fast one meal a day or one day a week or don't feel like it's all or nothing on this. Feel like, what is a step that I could take? What's my next step in the spiritual discipline of fasting? And so these are available on the altars. I printed 40 of them off. It seemed like a good biblical number to have 40 of them. I would be over the moon thrilled if we had to print more off or if you had to email me, mark at linwoodchurch.org and say, I need that. Or if you want it digitally, you can do that. I'd be over the moon thrilled to run out of these. But whoever you are, wherever you are, my hope and prayer is that you'll take a faith-filled step today towards Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the opportunities that you give us to seek you, to encounter you, to find you. We thank you for the rich heritage throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, Christian history of people engaging in fasting, engaging in addition through subtraction, abstaining from food or from specific foods for spiritual purposes. God, may every person in this room take their next step and may it be a step closer to you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.